We are all about the benefit of the doubt this month, which is a fresh way of looking at faith. My name is Talbot Davis, and I'm the pastor here. A lot of you are connected live, and others of you are live streaming. I'm, however you're engaged with us, I'm glad to engage back with you. Today's message, the second message in this series, the benefit of the doubt. Today's message is called, well, how does Jesus feel about your doubts? If you've got doubts, if you've got uncertainties, if you've got questions, how does Jesus feel about them? And to help us move into that, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate in, uh, in, in your Bible, the gospel of John chapter 20 and verses 24 through 29. And uh, it, maybe your Bible looks like this, or maybe it's on your phone. However you can locate it, just keep it there. And if your Bible is not here, the words, as they tend to be, will be up on the screen at just the right time. And uh, we believe a couple of things about the Bible, and some of you know what I'm going to say, and others of you have no idea what I'm going to say. But uh, among the things that we believe about the Bible this church is that we understand that although it looks like a book... It's not a book, it's a library, a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time. And it's interesting, within the library, there is a, a, just like your local library, there's a section in the Bible for biography. Four different biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one subject, Jesus. And so last week, if you're with us, and if you weren't, so glad you're here today, but last week we looked at Matthew Matthew's story about Jesus today is John's. It's just kind of cool how the different pieces of the Bible work together. And, and that's just a fact that a lot of people don't know. Not book, is library. The other thing that we believe really deeply here is moves to, to that realm of treasured conviction. And it's something you may not believe yourself. We just, we, we would like to be honest about what, because we found that's a lot better than being dishonest. We would like to be honest about the kind of church we are and in leadership we believe there's no other library on earth like the scripture that God did breathe his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We believe the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. Because we believe that in leadership here, we kind of have a, an unusual custom when we talk about the Bible. We lift it up and, and uh, you, you might see phones and Bibles and up in the air and you're like, this is a little bit strange. And we agree, it is strange. But we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. That we're a collection of people who don't necessarily have life figured out, but we know who does. And because we know he does, we're glad to surrender his, to his authority as he's revealed it in his word. Amen? And before I say anything else, let's pray together. So God, thank you for how good you are and thank you for the Holy Spirit and who didn't rest on his laurels when he finished inspiring Matthew and John, but he's still working today. We felt him today. And I ask that same Holy Spirit would overwhelm me in these moments so that from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I'd have a, just a brand new pouring out of everything that's good and right and joyful about you. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as part of this series, The Benefit of the Doubt, I did a little bit of very high-tech research, and I conducted an online poll, and some of you remember the online poll because it was like last Monday, 
And I asked people to respond on social media uh, about their doubts. And, and the poll was open to people who are Christians. It was open to people who aren't Christians. It was open to people who were thinking about whether or not they should be Christians. And, and the poll asked people to submit their answers. The, the kind of, uh, what kind of honest doubts do you have about God and faith and Jesus and the Bible and yourself? What kind of honest da- doubts do you bring to all of this? And the answers were were so interesting. I, I told you this is high-tech research. The answers are so interesting. I gathered some of the, the ones that I wanted to share with you. And, and so they're going to be projected, but I'm going to read them as long as I turn the page right side up. Here's, what it, here's the first one. Why hasn't God answered my prayer and, and yours, because I've been praying for this person, on healing me? Hasn't the Holy Spirit passed my prayers on to God? Second, Talbot, I had a problem of doubts when I was younger because I had to grow up in foster care. And I doubted that God loved me because he gave other kids loving parents. The one that almost got me early in my faith journey was I prayed for my grandmother to be healed from cancer, but she died anyway. Why does God allow women to get pregnant just to go through the heartache of a stillborn? I struggle with scientific evidence and findings that, que- that question the timeline of the Bible as written. And then if our earthly lives are just the blink of an eye and the majority of those lives will continue on to eternal damnation, would it have been better to not have created humanity? Those are, those are good ones, are they not? And, and I suspect you heard yourself in one or two, or all of them, if you are honest about it. Because we, we really are taking doubt seriously in this message series, The Benefit of the Doubt. And, and as I read through those doubts, as, as I ponder the subject, I, I wonder if there, if there really is any, are any benefits to the doubts that I harbor, the doubts that plague me. And, and yeah, you are hearing that right, that, that you're preacher, at least if you consider me your preacher, who, who I, I tend more towards bold than cool because I tried to be cool and it didn't work. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not cool. And, and that didn't work very well. And so I decided, well, that I'm not very cool, but I can do bold. Okay. And so I tend much more towards bold than to, than to trying to be cool. And yet even in the middle of the boldness, I, I guess I harbor a, a lot of doubts. I mean, I mean, big, major kind of doubts. Like, is, is God even real or am I just subjecting the people of Good Shepherd to some sort of heavenly pyramid scheme? Or if he's real, is he real for me? Or am I just putting on an act? What happens to the souls of people who never hear about Jesus? What, what do you do with dinosaurs and, and, and Genesis? And why in the world did God ever create mosquitoes and rats and acne and male pattern baldness and halitosis? And, and, and come on, you, you've asked all, especially if you have any of those, you have asked those Questions And sometimes all those questions that I have and the, the doubts that I feel, I know Journey told me to just don't stop believing, but sometimes that's exactly what I want to do. I want to stop believing because we're in this series, the benefit of the doubt. And, 
And if you were with us last week, if you weren't, again, I'm so glad that you're, you're here today. But last week, we, we introduced this series by taking a look at the very last scene in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is resurrected from the dead. I mean, he's there, was dead, now alive, in the flesh for his inner circle to see. And Matthew lets us know that although people in his inner circle seeing him resurrected in the flesh, although they believe, semicolon, but some doubted. It's really a a marvelous, fascinating inclusion of of doubt in the middle of, of, of triumph. Well, today, and I love the way the Bible works together. The Bible is so cool, people. Today, we're not looking at Matthew's account of Jesus's life and his resurrection. We're looking at John's and John's go, John comes along and he not only gives the doubters their due, he gives a doubter his name. And, and you may wonder, well, who is this doubter to whom John gives the name? And actually, you know it, even if you didn't know it came from the Bible, because it is doubting. yes. Doubting Thomas, and some of you are like, that's in the Bible? Yes, this is where it comes from. Doubting Thomas, a man who's so well known for his doubts that doubts not only describe him, doubting is his nickname, and we wonder, well, how do you feel all these thousands of years later, Mr. Thomas? How do you feel about the, the, that nickname that you have? And, 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 and when we get into Thomas's story, Because on the very first Easter Sunday, John lets us know that when Jesus's inner circle is gathered together, Thomas isn't with him, with them. We don't know why. We just know he's not there. Take a look at John chapter 20 and verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means in 2023, he'd be known as Diddy. (laughs) You're welcome. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. We don't know where he was. We just know he wasn't there. And, but we do know what the, other, the ones who were there, what they did with this news about seeing Jesus raised from the dead. Verse 25, first part. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And I was trying to imagine what it would be like for Thomas to hear that afterwards. And, and I realized, don't you kind of hate it? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one who kind of hates it. When people have seen the movie... Or they've read the book, or they've heard the song, or they've bought the technology, and they come up to you, and you have to see the movie, you have to read this book, you have to hear this song. And you know what I'm like? I'm like, no, no, I don't have to. I don't have to do any of that. And maybe Thomas was like that. We've seen the Lord, you have to see the Lord. And Thomas, eh, maybe not. Because look at the condition that Thomas places on his possible belief or possible faith in verse, in the rest of verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were in his hands and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I mean, that's pretty emphatic. I am not going to believe. I have a condition on my belief. And if all my conditions are not met, I'm not going to believe just based on your hearsay. I've got to have some concrete evidence myself. And, and as, I, as I think about what was going on in Thomas, what kind of man Thomas might have been, it, it occurs to me that with that kind of reaction to that sort of enthusiasm, Thomas may not be so different from so many of us. That Thomas's natural wiring was he was a little bit of a skeptic. 
A, a pessimist? A cynic? And he thought to himself, well, I figured Jesus was probably gonna die anyway. A lot of this story was too good to be true. These guys are just giving me their opinions. And, and I, I figure it was, and I think my bros have probably suffered some kind of delusion in the aftermath of the trauma of the cross. And I just don't believe. I have a natural bent towards suspicion, skepticism, and cynicism. And, and, and the reason I think that's worth pointing out is because I bet... I bet there's more than a handful of people within the sound of my voice. And you have a natural bent towards suspicion and skepticism and cynicism. And you can see the worst in people and in situations and, and in events. And you, and you kind of, well, that, yeah, sure I can. That's my gift. No, not really. Started with Thomas, it continues till today. And then, so that's Thomas on the first resurrection day. And then when we pick Thomas's story back up, it is a week later. And we don't know what happened in that week. John doesn't tell us what happened in that week. Apparently what happens in the gospel of John stays in the gospel of John. But look at verse 26. I love this. A week later, see? <laughs> That's how I knew it was a week later. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace. That's like the most absurd command ever. This guy was dead. Now he's alive. He doesn't need to bother with doors. He just appears. He looks like a three-dimensional ghost, a four-dimensional ghost, a multi-dimensional ghost. And he tells these guys to whom he just appears, peace. I'd be like, bloody murder. And then he turns to Thomas because some, somehow he knew exactly what Thomas had demanded to see and to touch before he would ever believe. Look what Jesus says in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he gives one of his own commands. Stop doubting and believe. And, and I don't know if it, 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 it occurs to you what, what these, just this one sentence, one verse means when, when Jesus says, see, Thomas, see, touch, feel, tactile. You know what that means? That the, and I don't know if you thought about this. Maybe you have, but the Christian faith is bodily before it's spiritual. The Christian faith is built on history before it's ever based on any kind of philosophy. The reason that there is a Christian faith is because there was a body that was dead, that became alive and lives today. And our faith is not based on some sort of random philosophy of just loving or liking or being good or kind. All, all that is the after effect, the outflow of the fact that we worship the only one who has ever gotten up out of of the grave never to die again. All that's wrapped up in there. And Thomas, upon seeing this, look at Thomas's reaction in verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And do you notice what's not there? Thomas doesn't have to do the very things he said he'd have to do. Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch the scars in his hand and put my hand on his side. He doesn't have to do any of that. 
Instead, he is so overwhelmed by, so swept up into Jesus that the doubter makes the most emphatic declaration of them all, my Lord, my God. It, it is, and think of all that Thomas didn't say. He didn't say, my teacher, my role model, my guru, my guide, my friend, my bro. None of that, my Lord and my God. And it is full circle gospel of John, which has begun with these words that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it all circles back around to this most emphatic of declarations by the deepest of doubters. And through it all in the gospel of John, Jesus has been Lord He's been creating Lord. He's been sustaining Lord. He's been risen Lord. He's been resurrected Lord. He is the only Lord. And when hallelujah is right. And when you realize that, it's just chills all over. And good shepherd, why, why would you ever be satisfied with Jesus as role model when you can surrender to him as king? There's no comparison, my Lord and my God. And the deep doubter becomes the great proclaimer. And I have to believe, I have to believe something happened to Thomas in that week. You know, that week that began when, when Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that's just hearsay and, and ended with my Lord and my God. Because I believe that if, if, if Thomas had believed too quickly, if he had embraced too quickly, he would never have surrendered so completely that he would, he would have had a, a thin faith, like a, like a faith in faith, faith. Like well, there's such a thing, like this tweet that I saw that I just thought was brilliant. And I said, that's going to preach one day. And today is the day. I think we're going to put it up on the screen that the, uh, uh, a friend, Tom Harzula, this morning I drove past a sign outside a church building, Methodist church building, which simply read, just believe in yourself. And there's nothing like a church trying to pass off the problem as the solution. And just brilliant. And that's what Thomas would have had had he believed too quickly. He would have been satisfied. He would have settled for Jesus as, as miracle worker, Jesus as, as spectacle. But instead, something in that week, and he realizes Jesus is way more than miracle worker. He's soul saver. Jesus is way more than spectacle. He is Lord of everything that I see. And the end result is that when Jesus is confronted with Thomas's doubts, how does Jesus feel about his doubts? Jesus honors them. Jesus rewards them. Jesus gives an answer to Thomas's doubts by displaying really who he is so that the deepest doubter becomes the boldest proclaimer. And here's what I want you to know, good shepherd. It's this, Jesus prefers honest doubt to pretend faith. Jesus prefers honest doubt to pretend, have faith in yourself, believe in faith. He prefers honest doubt to, to, to pretend faith because here's what we now know about Thomas. 
That in that week or in that moment of seeing resurrected Jesus, he worked through the doubts and he worked through the questions and he worked through the uncertainty so that he could surrender completely, overwhelmingly, so that he wouldn't be one of those people who had partial acceptance of Jesus. And y'all know this, don't you? Partially accepting Jesus is the same as completely rejecting him. And something about those doubts as Thomas worked through them and, and, and Jesus didn't rebuke him for them or condemn him for them. He got to that place where, where the, and I think this is why Jesus does prefer honest doubt to pretend faith because he knows that honest doubt ultimately produces unstoppable faith. Listen, if you've never doubted, you've only half believed if you've never really wrestled with the issues, the place that you have landed may be that place where you too have a pretend. Doubts are not your enemy. Pretending is. Doubts aren't the enemy. Acting like, well, how, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Because I'm a church, I'm good. That's the enemy. And Jesus will do whatever he can to bring us through the unreality of pretend faith so that we land in the depth of unstoppable faith. I mean, I know, I know what this is like because I've had that pretend faith as a young adult. And I mentioned this briefly last week, but I was volunteering like, like, like our volunteers do here with student ministry. And I wasn't really living or believing or feeling the faith that I was supposed to be sharing with these teenagers and and, and the thing about pretend faith, pretend faith never asks, well, what's in it for God? Pretend faith is totally wrapped up in what's in it for me. And I, I know that in that season of my life, I was scared to get on an airplane because if, if that airplane crashed, I didn't know where I would go if I was, would die. And that's the way it is with pretend faith. It's much more about me and much less about God. But God was good to me. And he brought people into my life who helped me rediscover a love of, of scripture. And, and through that love of, of scripture and through connecting with people, I actually became born again, again. You know, sometimes people need that, that you, you, have, you have a conversion, you, you born again from the gospel of John. And, and I just needed it all over again, born again, again. And I'm living proof, I think, of, of how it is that Jesus prefers honest doubt to pretend faith. After all, what's the name of the chosen people? This is not a trick question. What is the name of the chosen people in scripture? Israel. And you know what the word Israel literally means? It's one who wrestles with God. That's what Jacob does. One who wrestles with God. The chosen ones are the wrestling ones. The, the chosen ones are the ones who struggle with God. The chosen ones are even the ones who don't believe just too quickly. And maybe they work through things so they can surrender so completely. Jesus prefers honest doubt to pretend. You, you know I'm so okay with, I don't want you to live in doubt. I don't think it's a good permanent dwelling place. But it's not a bad way station. And God can do some really good things in it and through it and take you to the other side of it. 
And the reason I'm not intimidated, I'm not really bothered when people go through seasons of doubt is because none of your doubt has ever diminished Jesus's authority even a little bit. Not a single doubt you've ever had about the book of Genesis or about the souls of people who haven't heard or about acne and rats and mosquitoes and halitosis. None of that has ever made Jesus less Lord and Savior than he is. He's not intimidated by your doubts because it doesn't diminish his authority. And even more than that, None of your questions about faith or about him or about scripture, they've never stumped Jesus. You've never brought a question to Jesus and Jesus was like, whoa, I never thought about that one before. (laughs) Or or you've you've never raised an objection and and he's never, ah, you're right. I'm not who I said I was. All this is just not the first time. That has never happened. So since Jesus Jesus is so emotionally secure. Jesus is so healthy. He can withstand your doubts. They do not diminish his authority. They will not stump his brilliance. I got to ask you, can, can you be honest with them? Can you be the, like the, uh, the, the kind of person, like the guy who texted me not long ago and just said very honestly, I am disappointed with God right now. Can you be that raw? You see, Jesus prefers that rawness. He prefers that realness. He wants to help you work through those, those questions because he knows that what happens on the other side is not a pretend faith, not a faith in faith, faith, but an unstoppable one. Because I don't know if you know what happened to Thomas. Remember him? Unless I touch, unless I see, unless I feel, I'm not believing. Oh, my Lord and my God. Well, do you know what happened in the rest of Thomas's life? And, and we know this not from what the words in scripture, but from the early church in that first century and the records that they kept of their leaders. From all of that, we know that Thomas got so swept up in his resurrected king who's resurrecting me. Thomas got so swept up in that that he took the gospel to India, to South India. Now, I can tell you from experience, India is hard to get to today. And it must have been almost impossible in the first century, but something compelled and propelled Thomas to take the good news about his risen Lord beyond the bounds of earth as they know it. And the Christians that we, there are St. Thomas Christians today who trace their ancestry in Jesus to the doubter in John chapter 20 and the Christians we work with in India today. And there are many of them. They too trace their spiritual ancestry to the ministry tip of Thomas the doubter who becomes Thomas the proclaimer because he knew from experience Jesus prefers honest doubt to pretend faith because at some point honest doubt is going to produce unstoppable faith may that happen for you and and you and you and me let's pray so god even in these moments we take a moment to pray for the gospel in india and our friends and our colleagues there just let the news of the risen king 
sweep that land and sweep over the idols. And Father, for those within the sound of my voice, we pray that you would help us work through our honest doubts and move us away from pretend faith and give us the kind of faith that is unstoppable. I pray that everyone here would declare with Thomas, my Lord and my God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.